Well, good morning, everybody. Man, that was great, you guys. Appreciate that so much. Um, you know, yeah. Sometimes uh, just the ability to pull it back a little and just say, God, we just want to honor you today. And uh, just to those simple words and reminder of a, of a child in a manger, you know, what that means to us. So powerful. Hey, as we uh, start, I want to I pray for you today. And uh, just, just, God, that you would open our hearts. And God, that you would once again speak to us, you would allow us to hear your word, God, that you would allow it to penetrate our heart and our mind and our soul, and that, God, not only would it, would it, would it impact us internally, God, but that it would move to our actions, it would move outwardly, that we would do something with what we're hearing today, and that we would do what James said, that we would not just be merely hearers of the word, that we would do, be doers of the word as well. And so, God, for that, we pray today, and we pray that you would honor these moments, and that the words that I speak would be your words, the words of God, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know that names are important, don't you? Uh, years ago, Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book, and uh, in that book, he said, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and one of the things was, you got to mention somebody's name. Now, that could be awkward if you said it over and over and over again in conversation, but it does make a difference if somebody knows your name, doesn't it, Sheila? makes a difference, and uh, Daniel makes a difference, doesn't it? When somebody says, hey, go, way to go, you did a great job, or Amy, great job on that solo, and when somebody just speaks your name, it is so powerful. Years ago, uh, we were in uh, Israel, and we were on the Sea of Galilee, and in a moment that I didn't expect, I thought we were just on a boat ride, right? In the middle of it, our two guides who were Americans, who were friends of ours that were leading this trip, suddenly said, guys, I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Just imagine where we are on the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and I want you to think for a moment about God's call for your life and, and the moment that God called you into ministry. And then they went into just this time where they were like, Hey, Josh, remember that time when God called you? Where were you? What did it feel like when God called you? And then as it went along, it just, they kept getting name after name after person. And then it got to me, and it was my name. And they said, hey, Stephen, you remember that day God called you? And the message was so personal and so powerful. And they called me by name, and it reminded me of the time when Jesus called his disciples and said, hey, hey, Matthew. Hey, Peter. Hey, John. It's time for you to join up with us. Names are so important. They really make a difference to us. How many of you know what are the, what are the popular names of babies in 2020? Anybody know the, the most popular boy names in 2020 for babies? Anybody got any guess at all? No, not Eli. Not Josh. All right, I'll just tell you. Um, number one, you'll never guess, Oliver. Oliver. And number one, Number one guy's name this year. Uh, number two, Liam. Number three, Ethan. And number four, Josh and Jess, Aiden. Aiden is the top four name this year in 2020. Anybody know the top girl names? That, that's exactly right. Yeah, Olivia. That's number four. That's right. Uh, number one is Charlotte. That one's on it. It's got to come back. It's coming back now. Charlotte. Ava. And then Amelia. Now, how many of you looked up names when you named your kids? You want to know what they meant. Did anybody do that? Because you didn't want to name your name of a kid and have it be something that uh, you didn't intend for it to be. And uh, I found some of the, the crazy, funny ones. 
And by the way, some of them, I know your kids are named these things, so don't email me. It's your fault. You didn't look up the meaning, all right? Cameron, all right? Did you know Cameron means crooked nose? Crooked nose, that's what it means. Campbell means crooked mouth. That's what it means. Look it up. Calvin means little bald one. Little bald one. It's cute, little Calvin, little bald one, you know? And uh, sort of prophetic for maybe his future life. Kennedy, this one's really not good. So if you name your kid Kennedy, I'm sorry. Ugly head, you know? <laughs> Hello, little ugly head. Mallory, bad luck. That's sad. Don't name your kid Mallory. It's bad luck. It's her name. That's what it means. Olivia means elf army. Elf army. So if you named your kid Olivia, I mean, look it up. I'm not making this stuff up, right? Now, in biblical times, names were very, very important. In fact, when in the Old Testament book of Chronicles, there was a little baby named Jabez, and when he was born, he caused his mother pain. And then the name Jabez means born in pain. Sometimes they named their child for their appearance. Did you know the name Esau means hairy? Could you imagine? He was born, and right away they're like, oh, here Esau, you're a hairy little baby. So cute. His brother Jacob was hanging on to his heels when he was uh, when they were twins in the womb, his, his brother was hanging on to his heel, and the name Jacob means heel catcher. And not only that, there was one lady in the Bible that was pregnant and gave birth on the day that the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. So she named her baby uh, uh, Ichabod, which means glory has departed. Can you imagine as soon as the baby is born, you're like, glory has departed. Amen. I mean, let's introduce your friend. This is glory has departed, and this is ugly babe. This is ugly bald baby. I don't know, but sad. But they're also beautiful Bible names, and they're really fitting for their life. If you know these stories, you'll understand. Abraham, father of a great multitude. That's what his name means. Moses, saved from the water. Ruth means friend. Naomi means pleasantness. Lazarus, you'll like this one, means one who God helps. One who God helps. And Zacchaeus means pure. Talk about an ironic name for somebody who was taking money, but Jesus turned the course of his history. Now, friends, you know this, that no matter what the power of those names, there is no name that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior and Deliverer. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Mary was told, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. He is Deliverer. He is Savior. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we're told, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. The name Jesus means Savior. And, of course, Philippians says at the very end of time, friends, when Jesus Christ splits open the sky and he returns for his people, we, we read this about that moment that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no name that is above the name of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, I thought it would just be appropriate if I invited just our vocal team back up here today, I threw them a curveball. 
I said, I just want to sing for a minute. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. So you guys come up here and you just think about that song as we, when I say come up here, come on, let's go. Come on, come on. Transitions, transitions, people. Dead air. It's not good. All right. Here we go. We don't have the words for it, but if you know it. to say and you don't know what to pray, just pray the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 the greatest name of all. And we thought it would be just be great during this time of kind of challenge that we would just celebrate the name of Jesus in the month of December. We'd celebrate who he is. And one of the best places to see this is in Isaiah chapter 9. And when you, when you read Isaiah 9, it is really a messianic prophecy about who Jesus is is going to be, who the Savior of the world is going to be. And Isaiah has so much to say about Jesus. Sometime, read Isaiah 53, and you're going to read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what he endured for you, and by his stripes we are healed. But in Isaiah 9, you read that it was in a time of darkness and bleakness for the, for the people of God. They had left God. They had turned their back on him, and because of that, it was really a time of hopelessness. And that's why I thought it would be so good, because in our day, we have the same kind of thing, the same kind of bleakness at times, the same kind of hopelessness, the same kind of dark world, the same kind of challenges, it seems like. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, the people walked in darkness. They walked in darkness, but they've seen a great light now. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, and that sounds a lot like John chapter 1 where it says the fulfillment of this, and it's in John 1, and it says, in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, today, you need a God who is mighty. You need a God who is the Prince of Peace. We need peace in our time. You need a God who is the Everlasting Father. No matter what your home life was like, you need a God who is your Father, who is your Abba, your Daddy, and we need a Wonderful Counselor. Now, when you think about a counselor, what comes to mind? For some of you, you'll think about a couch and someone across the way, and they're counseling you, and they're telling you about what to do with your life. And sometimes that's the right thing to do, and it's a good thing to do, but we all need godly counsel. One of the most dangerous places we can be is alone. I think one of the dangers of what has happened, one of the outcomes of COVID, one of the outcomes of COVID is isolation, and so many people have isolated themselves. And because of that, they found themselves facing all kinds of, of unintended consequences. And they found themselves facing maybe uh, loneliness or maybe depression. And we've heard of all these things during this time. And so isolation is one of the things the devil uses to drive us away from God, to go backward and downward in our life. And Jesus says, I made you for a relationship and I want to be that wonderful counselor. I want to bring you into relationship with me. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6, victory is won through many advisors. That when you have other people in your life that are encouraging you and challenging you, and listen, friends, I know what it means to try to be isolated and alone. How many of you know ministry can be a lonely deal? It really can be. The people, the people don't think that, that's not true. They say you're around people all the time. There's a difference from being around people and being with people, right? And this is the reason we're hearing a lot of pastors that are saying, I'm done with life. We're reading story after story about that because they find themselves alone. And it's such an important truth to say, we need people around us to counsel us and encourage us. Now, I want to give you four levels of counsel, four levels of counsel. One of them is personal counsel. This is where you have a friend group or somebody around you that can tell you hard things. Personal counsel. Uh, a lot of the run-of-the-mill, day-to-day problems that you have and I have, you don't have to go to a professional counselor. You just need to turn to your friends and say, I've got a challenge. I have an issue. Can you help me out with it? I've got a sticky issue. Can you help me with it? And that's one of the reasons our community groups are so important here because you're turning to other people and saying, I need your help. I need you to challenge me in some way. I need you to encourage me. The body of Christ is to be your personal counselor. And the second is pastoral counsel. Sometimes people will come in and they'll say, I want to talk to my community group leader, or I want to talk to somebody on staff. And guess what? That's free. That's a free deal. But people always tell me, you know, hey, it's free. Can I just come in? I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's my opinion, and you could take it or leave it but I'm going to give it to you freely. So, you know, if you want it, we'll give it to you. And sometimes that involves like a, a hand, arm around the shoulder. We're really sorry that that happened in your life. And sometimes it involves a kick in the pants. I think you're doing the wrong thing, and you need to turn around, and you need to do something better. And most of you know we also are CrossFit coaches. So when you are a CrossFit coach and a pastor, we're more likely to kick you, you know, and say, hey, let's go, you know. You can do this, all right? So sometimes you have pastoral counseling. Josh cares more than I do, so go to him if you want to arm around your shoulder. It's, it's all it is. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Pastoral counseling. Then there's professional counseling. 
and sometimes that's appropriate. This is somebody that you go to has the, the skills in helping people. They've trained themselves, and they really help you untie those knots that have happened in your life. But I think the best kind of counsel by far is what we call providential counsel. Providential counsel. This is counsel from God himself. Jesus being our wonderful counselor. He is your perfect counselor. And here are some qualities of a perfect counselor, our, our wonderful counselor. First of all, you need to know this today. Jesus Christ hears you and understands your situation. He's a good listener. He's a good listener. There was one Methodist preacher, Charles Allen, years ago who described his type of counseling. He said, I just sit there and listen. I listen and ask probing questions, and I just listen. And then eventually they tell me what they need to do, and I don't say anything. I just say, that, that sounds good. Now go do it. And he said, it's amazing. So many people come back and they say, oh, you gave me such good counsel. And he said, I didn't really do anything at all. I just listened and affirmed what you thought already. And that's the case. A lot of times as a pastor, as a counselor, you, they, people already know what they need to do. You just listen. And Jesus was such a good listener. And if you don't believe that, look at 1 John 5. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And this is confidence that we have when we approach God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he'll hear you. He hears you. Jesus took time to listen. He listened to the woman at the well. He listened to Nicodemus. He listened to Zacchaeus. He listened with empathy. He understands your situation. No matter what you're going through, God understands. You know, we listen through sort of a filter sometimes. And we kind of prejudge situations. A child is yelling in the middle of the grocery store, and we immediately want to judge the parent and say, I can't believe that you let your kid get away with that. And yet, you didn't know the rest of the story that that, that family has a loved one that's in the hospital, the spouse is in the hospital, and the, the mom is holding on for dear life. And maybe what she needs is somebody to say, can I help you during this time? We're so quick to judge but God understands the full situation. He understands exactly what's happening in your life. So when you go to him for counsel, you can say, God, I need your help, and you don't even have to explain it all because God already knows. Psalm 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from far. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my lips, you know it, Lord, completely. You see, Jesus understands. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly your challenges today, friends. And because he is such a wonderful counselor who already knows what you need, I want to give you a challenge, and that is that you need to go to him and just admit that you need guidance. He's ready and willing to give it to you. If you just go to him and God, God, my wonderful counselor, I need you today. I need your help. Help me. I don't even know what to ask for, God, but help me. It's so good to just ask for help. Ladies, how many of you know us husbands, we could learn that? Amen? We could learn that. How many of you know men are not good at asking directions? The greatest thing we've ever had invented was GPS, right? Because back in the day, mm, no, I got it. I got it, babe. I got this. And we go to a gas station, and they'd say, no, you don't. You are miles off course. Somebody said that's why Moses wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He wouldn't ask for directions. 
I love Psalm 25, 9. He guides who? He guides the humble. He guides the humble. He teaches them his way. If, if you're going to get advice from the Lord, you got to be humble. Just say, God, I need it. I need your advice. I need your help. And I would just say there's probably somebody in here who really feels like today they need the counselor from the Lord. They feel like there's an emptiness there. And maybe you could just start by saying, God, I need, I need it. I need your help. Secondly, you need to know that our wonderful counselor has your best interest in mind. He has his, your best interest in mind. Not only does he understand, he wants things to go better for you. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus fulfills another prophecy from back in Isaiah. And we read it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is what Jesus has done. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Send me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and release for the oppressed. Those who think that Jesus isn't for everybody, including the marginalized, you haven't read Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is for everybody. The best, the worst, the most difficult situation, he is for everybody. And the heart of your wonderful counselor is, I, I see where you are today, and I want to help you get to another place. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you, look at this, with my eye upon you. Now, what does that mean? That means Jesus knows exactly what you need. He's going to counsel you, and he has his eye upon you. He knows what you need. Your wonderful counselor has your best interest in life. Throughout life, you're going to experience pain and hardship and challenge and stress and seasons of spiritual dryness. But God sees all of that, takes all of that, and says, I want to move you to a different place. Remember the woman at the well? He told her, go and call your husband and come back. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You've had five. You're living with a guy right now. And, and then he gives her truth. He loves her enough to give her the truth. He moves her from where she was to where she needed to be. Remember talking to Simon Peter? Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and die for you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter. This is going to be a hard truth, but you're going to deny that you even knew me. But Jesus also knew that later, after Peter had denied him, he would restore him once again, and Peter would be the very, the very first preacher in the New Testament church. That really on the back of Peter's message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the world would be changed. Jesus is willing to tell people hard truth. He's willing to understand where they are, but move them to a place that they need to be. Good counselors don't just tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. Psalm chapter 27, verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You ever seen those little gifts on, those little, I mean, uh, on, the, you know, on, on the internet? It's like, Kiss, 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 kiss. You know, they're like get throwing up a thousand kisses. That's what somebody does that you don't really trust. They throw you a thousand kisses, but they never tell you the truth. They throw you a thousand kisses, but they never really tell you what you need to hear. Isn't it better to, to be challenged? And so challenge number two is when you know that God has met your best interest, listen and trust even when you don't understand. Even when you don't understand it. Trust that he has your best future at mind. I've told you before, a couple years ago, we went to Quetico, Canada, and we took a canoeing trip, and we portaged several times. 
uh, across these lakes, these beautiful lakes. We're alone. We have a satellite phone. I don't know why we even had it. It didn't work, you know, and I was always thinking, like, what will happen if we have a tragedy? And I don't know what was going to happen, but everybody on the trip had a job. And Benjamin, my son, he was with us, and one of our job early on until we got kicked off this job was to uh, find and chop wood until Benjamin about cut his thumb off. And then we thought, well, that's not a good job for us. We'll be the tent putter-uppers. But he cut his thumb in the early morning. I mean, he cut it deep. And I was, I, I really like to think, I'd be good on the spot, Johnny on the spot. I'm ready to take care of all the issues. I was a little panicked a little bit. Like, I was trying to be cool, but I was a little panicked. My brother, on the other hand, had two jobs. Jonathan had the job of doctor and navigator, jo- doctor and navigator. He gets out of his tent. I'm like, Jonathan, he just cut his thumb. You need to come help him. And, it's, you know, it's like... Just, and, uh, and he's like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. He goes, takes his morning bathroom break, and I, I yell over to him. I know, it's personal, but we're, hey, drop the mask, people, drop the mask. So I was like, hey, you need to come over here. He's, I said, this is important. He's like, there is no more important work than what I'm doing right now. Amen. That's what he said. I'm like, I mean, there's like, what's, what's he doing? He comes over. He's like, did you wash it out? I'm like, yeah, okay, wash it out, wrap it up. And he, 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 like, butterfly stitches it and wraps it in a bag and all these things, gets it all prepared. And, uh, but here's, what, here's what's interesting. After Dr. John did his part in fixing Benjamin's thumb, uh, after that he realized that it's going to be harder for him to canoe. And so Jonathan was also our navigator, and he redirected our path. And because of that, I never even worried at all. I never knew where we were going I didn't even know where we were except we were in Canada somewhere. If they had trusted me to be the navigator, I mean, he had, like, GPS, maps, a slide rule, I, a, you know, all this stuff. He's like, I'm figuring it all out. He didn't really have a slide rule. But he gets all this, and he re-navigates us. And my job was to trust. And by day eight, when we were done, the thumb was completely healed. And we were back in a parking lot somewhere in the United States. And here's my point. When you know that the navigator knows what's best for you, all you got to do is trust. And God knows what is best for you. We believe that. We're here for that reason. That's the reason we're here on the weekend. That's the reason we get into the Word of God, because we want God's Word. We want to know, God, you know what's best. And so because of that, we trust you. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So listen and trust, even if you don't understand it. And number three, God gives you clear direction. The best counselors don't just listen they, and understand and speak the truth. They then give you direction. They tell you, this is where you need to go. One counselor said, everyone who comes in to be counseled has one thing in common. Everyone who wants to be counseled is in search of hope. Everyone. And friends, I want you to know today that our wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, gives you hope and purpose. He can give you clear direction. And that direction comes in a variety of ways. Job chapter 33, verse 14 says, God speaks in different ways, and we don't always recognize his voice. Now, the primary way he speaks is through his word. you got to get to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, that's the primary way. And some people tell me, Stephen, God never speaks to me. My question back to them is, are you reading the word of God? Because if you're not reading the word of God, you're neglecting the number one way that God has established to speak. So read his word. Read it every day. Read it every day. 
if you don't read his word, it's like putting your phone on silence and saying, God, I don't want to, I want to hear from you, God, but I'm going to put you on silent. Read Read the word of God. God also speaks through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us and convicts us. He prompts us to do something or change something. And if that still small voice is telling you something, you should listen. And I have learned this more and more and more over the years. And when I have neglected that still small voice of God in my mind and in my heart, I have regretted it every single time. God uses the Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us and to challenge us. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit. And He also uses your circumstances. God uses your circumstances, good and bad. And I think God is speaking right now in our generation. I think while while we're being told a lot of different things in the world, the truth of God guides us. It guides us back to the word of God. It guides us back to to worship. It guides us back to to saying we want the church of Jesus to, to, to advance in this time. And so challenge three is follow the advice. Follow the advice. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You come into church, you listen, and then what do you do with it? You know, it's disheartening when, um, when your church, uh, you know, now you're not sure if they're listening or not. Years and years ago in my very first church, I preached a sermon on Nehemiah. It was not my sermon, it was my dad's sermon. My dad was a pastor also. And he had a 12-point sermon on the book of Nehemiah. 12 points. Who writes a 12-point sermon? Like, that's ridiculous. It's like two minutes a point. So I, ch- I whittled it down to nine. I'm like, let's make it nine. I preached that sermon on a Sunday. The next weekend, we had an ordination service where we were ordaining a guy into ministry. I asked my dad to come preach. Guess what he preached? 12 points on Nehemiah. He did the same sermon that I had done the week before. And the most discouraging thing was everybody after he was done was like, that was the best message I'd ever heard. I was like, you just heard it last week. It's just three less points. But you know what? We're not only called to listen to it. We're called to act upon it. We're called to act upon it. To do what is being said. And here's one little scripture I want to give you. And I think some of you guys came for this one scripture. And here's the principle I want to give you. God is not going to overrule your stubbornness when it comes to direction. Can everybody say amen? God's not going to overrule your stubbornness when it comes to giving you direction. If you're so stubborn in your heart, you don't want God's direction, you're going to follow it. God's not going to overrule that. People tell me all the time, well, what about this couple? I want them to change. I'm like, we're going to pray for that. But when one partner decides in their stubbornness of their heart, they're not going to change. God's not going to overrule that. And here's a scripture for you. Here's a scripture for you. Psalm 81, 12. Here's this. There you go. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. So I don't make this stuff up. When I say God's not going to overrule your stubbornness, just read Psalm 81, 12. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. In other words, if you say, God, I know better, or I'm not going to change anyway, God's not going to force you. But friends, I think some of you need to hear that message that if you want a wonderful counselor, you have to submit to the word of God. You've got to admit, God, I need your help. God, I need you in my life. God, I need you to help me in my life. So therefore, God, I'm just asking for it. Not only do I do do that, but I want to listen, and I want to trust your advice God, I want to take it in because I know you have my best interest at heart. And not only that, I'm going to do it. 
if, if the word of God says to do something, I'm going to do it. In his book, The Dance of Hope, Bill Fry tells a, a blind, about a blind student named John who he tutored at the University of Colorado. And he tutored this blind student, but the student at that time seemed so peaceful and so kind. And so one day he asked him, he said, Bill said, John, tell me about your background. Tell me what happened and how you lost your sight. And John told about the story about how there was an accident in his life that happened early on, and he lost his sight. And he became so angry at God. He would pray, God, give me my sight back. And God didn't answer that prayer in the way that he wanted. And so he just kept being angry at God and stubborn with his family and lazy around the house. And I'm not going to do anything. And woe is me. And so one day, his dad, John's dad, said, John, I'm tired of you moping around. I'm tired of your attitude. And by the way, I want you to put up all the storm windows in the house today. And you do it before I get home or else. And uh, Bill was so mad about that. He walked around the barn. He found the storm windows. He searched around for the ladder and the tools. He was cursing the whole time. I can't believe it. When I fall off that ladder, that'll show them I'm going to break my neck. And when I break my neck, that's going to prove to them that they did the wrong thing. They should have never made me get up on there. But he never, he never fell, and he finished his assigned task. And years later, it wasn't until years later that he learned something about that day. He learned that he was not by himself. His father, after he had slammed the door, stayed nearby, and his dad was never more than a few feet away from him the entire day. And he said, I later discovered that at no time during the day had my father been more than a few feet off from my side, and that my father was there to make sure that I did not fall. And friends, I want you to know, your father is there that when you go through this process, he wants to make sure that you don't fall. He's going to support you. He's going to encourage you. And I want you to listen to this scripture that really encourages you, because it encourages me. Psalm 37, listen to this. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord himself holds his hand. Now, is that an encouraging verse? Now, you may be a little stubborn sometimes. You may be somebody who says, God, I, I got my own way. But when we submit to God and when we admit our need and when we listen and trust his advice and when we act upon it, we know that the one who delights in the Lord, that God is right there by your side, the entire time. He is our wonderful counselor. Now I want to pray for you today. God, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks, God, for being our wonderful counselor. We give you thanks, God, for being the one who gives us that providential counsel, that counsel from God. And God, we need that today because when we look at the world through our own eyes, we see hardship and strife. We see struggle. God, we see the things that are challenging around us. We're reminded all the time about the things that are difficult today. But God, we know that in the midst of the challenge, we know that in the midst of the hardship, God, that you are with us. The Bible says over and over again, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And so, God, we're thankful today for the very fact, Lord, that you have promised us that you will reach out that hand and that as we go through this life, you will be with us. 
And God, we thank you. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for the truth of God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you for being our counselor, God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, friends. Let's worship together. If you need counsel today, maybe you need somebody to pray for you. I'm just going to wait down front. If, you, if you're like, you know what? This Christmas time right now, I just need somebody to pray for me. And I'll mask up and, and uh, I'd be happy to.